Hi everyone, welcome to episode 15 of Photography Chat. Uh, we're going to have Monica with us here momentarily. Um, sorry for kicking it off a little late. Um, was just dealing with some stuff here. I hope everyone's having a good week. And uh, yeah. Hello, Danielle. Hope you're doing well out there. What's up, JP? And we've got Monica. All right. Oh, hi. Hi. Welcome to the chat. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for running late. Um, a friend was just dropping off um, some cameras that I've been waiting with bated breath to get back from Texas, um, which is very exciting. Yeah, I got uh, my my custom baby is here. I haven't I haven't even seen it yet, so it's like we're we're gonna see these for the first time together here. Ooh, okay. So this one I was super stoked about. Um, so this guy is super bespoken because the SLR 680s only typically came in black, and he made me a nice silver guy. Yeah. Super slick. It's very slick. And the other thing that's cool with it is it has a split prism focusing screen inside, which these don't typically come with. I don't know, maybe yeah. make you guys see it. Can will it work? Yeah. No. It's backwards. It's backwards. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. I don't really I'm not happy with the leather, but it looks okay. That one's exciting. Um, yeah, and then what else we got here? Well, this one's kind of neat. This is the first one I bought off of Clint at Space Lab. Uh-huh. And it's been broken since I bought it from him. <laughs> yeah, we're getting it working for the first time. It looks great. It's cute. Yeah. How's your week been? <sighs> what day is it? Oh, it's Thursday. It is. <laughs> uh, it's been good. Um, I guess my my life's kind of been taken over for the past twenty four hours by the fact that um, the my deck, like the entire building, is getting the the decks are being redone. So I was notified like two days ago that I have to get everything off of my deck. Um, uh, that seems kind of shitty and quick. Yeah, I have a lot of plants, so it's a very um, it's a large undertaking. And it's hot. Am I, allowed, am I allowed to curse on this TV show? You can fucking swear as much as you want, because I do. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, quite a pain in the ass. And well, I'm that's not, not even yet. that big of a curse. Come on. What? That wasn't even that big of a curse. Oh, well, now that I know that I can, I just it'll just come right out. Don't worry about it. Okay. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I have been trying to chip away at things, but I had to take a lot of um, medium and serious breaks and get plants inside. And um, my lovely partner Alex 
was able to help a little bit with that today, but I'm going to be doing that more again when we are done. That does not sound very fun at all. Eh, working in the sun, whatever. Well, I mean, sometimes the sun is nice, right? Maybe. Mm -hmm. No. I mean, it's good you guys are getting some sun because, like Vancouver, um, you know, historically it's not a very sunny place. <laughs> yeah, the spring has been strange. It's been cold. It looks like the sun might be staying here now. So that's nice. Yeah. Well, we we've got a few people on here, so maybe say hi and you know let uh, let the group know uh, who we're chatting with today. Hi, everybody. Um, before I go any further, I have my door open. If sirens or anything get too loud, like from your end, let me know and I'll go over and close it. It's just like hot as a bitch in here. So, um, that's like fair. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I'm Monica. <laughs> I take pictures. Um, I do other things too. Um, It's funny because I never really thought of myself as a photographer for a really long time. Maybe only over the past year and a half. Um, have I started to consider myself a photographer? Um, it's one of those things of when... Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if it's like warped self-perception or like what what it means to like practice anything. Um, it's certainly imposter syndrome um, has a lot to do with it, just like with any other thing. Um, I've always liked taking pictures very much since I was a young kid. Um, my dad um, taught me about cameras, like I built like a pinhole camera with him when I was like eight <laughs> and um, taught me how to like develop and stuff like that. And I, um, I don't know, it, it's been this thing is like always very within reach for me, but I didn't, I don't know, maybe I always had imposter syndrome even when I was young or I didn't care enough. Um, my parents, especially my dad was always like, you need to be a photographer, like you have an eye, like you're really good at composition, like you're really good at making narratives with what you take pictures of. Um, it kind of like went over my head and I didn't care. I dabbled in it more in high school. Um, fell away, got back and did on my own again in university. Um, long story short, I've always been way more concerned with making images than um, the technical aspects of photography. And I think that's why um, the deeper you go in with anything, not caring as much about the technical aspects of something makes you feel like an imposter. Um, I certainly experienced that as a designer uh, as well with, you know, my background is in graphic design, so. Um, yeah, I mean, like, that's me. Um, I think the thing that 
fuels me in terms of um, making images is really, <sighs> yeah, I, I tried to like kind of put this in there somewhere in my stupid little bio. Like, I'm not interested in like taking things from the world as much as I am finding stuff after the fact. I, I'm drawn to making images that are kind of like ways that I synthesize how I perceive things in general, um, whether it's like feelings or dreams or um, I think nostalgia plays a huge part in um, the ways that I try to make images. And I just, I really use cameras as though they're their own little pets, like little animals that have their own way of, you know, digesting the world. And it's like my job to then like take whatever those little animal cameras um, catch. <laughs> and then I like go, you know, and then I like go through them and find them and I, it's, it's cool because I think getting comfy with cameras in that way has allowed me to treat, treat them um, very, um, like specially and individually. And, you know, I might like hate a certain camera at first, but then when I force myself to shoot my favorite subject matter uh, with it over and over and over again, eventually I find the one thing that it does or the one way that it um, sees the world that allows me to find those little bits of images that I really like to play with. So yeah, that's my long-winded long introduction. I, I like the idea of cameras as pets. <clears throat> that's kind of a cool idea. I take that. And, I don't uh, think I've ever Pokemon, but... Um... <laughs> Would that work? It could be something like that. Yeah. Like a, like a visual Pokemon. Yeah. Uh, Kat says imposter syndrome is such a struggle. And I have to agree. Like that's something I definitely um, have a, a fairly healthy battle with all the time. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I'm not, I'm not a fan of the whole imposter syndrome thing. Um, especially like yeah, with the whole photography stuff, like, I don't even really like calling myself a photographer because <laughs> mm. it just uh, there's a lot of like extra stress with that whole like moniker uh, kind of yeah. thing and there's also like a lot of like shitty dude photographers out there not so much from like the aspect of like their photos are shitty but like that they're just shitty people oh yeah I'm so glad we're talking about this um I think that's the case with like so many practices like not just oh, photography but that was like just the yes I feel the same um it was I uh, that was something that bothered me a lot when I was like in I guess like in undergrad like university age and I had started dabbling with it again it's just like I don't care about jerking off about gear um, and that's one aspect of that 
environment. Well, you, don't, you don't want to talk about like your the, the, your favorite camera and you know what what inspires you the most with it and your favorite lens and the film stock that like helps you. I mean, uh, I can't. I can't. <laughs> I think it's like this thing. This like I almost view like um, you know it's I'm gonna get like real and spicy. I guess like I almost view religion in the same way, like faith spirituality keep that stuff to your like that it's cool it's good for you keep it to yourself that's like part of your creative practice and it's good to definitely i'm not discounting that it's amazing to have a dialogue about it and it's very important and yeah. it helps us discover new tools and things but going back to the whole like dudes shitty dudes with cameras thing it's just like yeah it's like i find that i found that in cycling i found that in well not so much like in graphic design but there was like well it, it does exist in graphic design but like um in other industries that i've worked in um and just anything that i've ever done it's like if you can't talk talk shop the right way with the men who are doing it like you're just like oh you like go over there and well fun. not to get off topic on the men thing but like religion is an interesting one because i did just get in trouble recently for um a religious based thing at work um, I said, uh, in reference to something being old, that it's been around since Christ was a cowboy. And, um, that apparently was, uh, you know, something that got me in trouble, which was kind of interesting to me. Um, cause I'm like, well, I'm Catholic. I don't find that offensive. Like, yeah. You know, Jesus is old and so are cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> like literally. <laughs> Where's um... the problem here? Um, yeah. but on, on like the, the front of like, you know, shitty men being everywhere, like that, that's an interesting thing that I'm also like unpacking at work at the moment where it's like, I'm on this project where I'm paired with, uh, with a female partner on this, like one specific project and I'm brand new to it. Like I just started on this like new project. Um, and you know, we were assigned a task, which I was like, this task is stupid and pointless and we shouldn't be doing this task and so she emailed the project lead being like you know this is our feedback more guidance and this project lead phones me instead of the woman that sent him the email and like opens it up with like fucking women man you like ask him one thing and you get all these like questions back and you know it's just like nagging and like you know you just can't and I was like whoa 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 like what and he's just like well yeah like she came back and said like this stuff and I'm like well she was just relaying what I said because I think this is stupid and I still still think this is stupid but now we've got a bigger problem on our hands here and uh yeah so that's like a new thing that's unfolding at work right now on top of all the racial stuff that we we've, we've talked about as well yeah. which is fun 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 so much fun I don't like being a grown up <laughs> I don't know. I personally like being a grown-up a lot. Um, That's fair. Because I like sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's but, fair. I do like drugs a lot. And, you know, just like Fat Mike and No Effects, hey, drugs are good. Uh, yeah. And sex is fun, too. And rock and roll, of course. All those things. Uh -huh. um, Jeffrey did have a question here, though. How do you guys deal with imposter syndrome? He's found it hard at times. I could go on forever about this. I think, let's see, the hardest, like the, the most um, 
resilient form of imposter syndrome that I've had is definitely that that I've had with like design and art and creative directions and because like that's what I've done for work for the longest time. Um, I think I successfully started dealing with it by just doing things like making stuff. You know, we all have those ideas for projects in our head, um, things that we want to do, desires that like just pop in there like, oh my God, this is a great idea. Um, and the self-critic, um, who is very important. And I think a lot of creative people have an extremely active self-critic and we have to have that in order to produce and in order to tell ourselves whether what we're producing is good enough for us and good enough, good enough according to the idea of the kind of work that we want to be doing that we want to be putting out there into the world. So you have to kill the self-critic a little bit. And instead of, I mean, for me personally, I should say, I have a tendency to overthink whenever I get an idea and be like, who else has done this? Why am I doing it? If I do it, how am I going to end up doing it better? If I, and, you know, the further down that, um, you want to call it a tunnel or a rabbit hole, I travel, the further away I get from, like, the reason why I would really want to do that work to begin with. So the imposter syndrome happens, like, the further you go down that hole and don't allow yourself to just make things. I find that when I like tell the self-critic to shut up and allow myself to get lost in ideas and really just like muck around, not even um, like think about what I'm doing, but like just fucking like follow, you know, like, oh, I like the way the sun is like doing this thing on this. Okay, I'm gonna try this. And now I'm gonna try that. Like just letting yourself follow something and make mistakes and then make something out of that idea, whatever the fuck it is. That's been the best way for me to like kill it a little bit. Um, because the more I do that, the more I can see, well, you know, it's not always going to land um, or become like a body of work that I'm like all about right now. But it's continually proving to myself that there's no reason for me to believe that I can't do the things that I want to do and that the things that I do are actually, they're actually good enough. Um, they're different than what anybody else does. What do you do? What do I do? Oh, wow. Okay. Me. Um, so I struggle with imposter syndrome a lot. Um, in like all facets of my life um, because like I, I work in an industry where like most people are like highly educated um, I barely passed high school um, not because I'm stupid but because I enjoyed you know drugs and alcohol a lot more than I enjoyed school as a <laughs> child um, and yeah, so like that's been always interesting when people find out that like I have no education background and it almost like ruins credibility a bit. And like when I was younger, there was like I, I was like really scared of people knowing about that. But 
you know, what I'm finding now is I'm like cresting 40 is that um, I just don't give a shit anymore. And um, not giving a shit is like a superpower because um, I'm just like, well, I obviously know what the hell I'm doing because I've been doing it for decades now. So go fuck yourself if you think I'm dumb. Um, and, you know, it's also sort of empowered me to like speak truth that I would have never done before, which is something that I struggled with a lot because like, you know, I am not proud to admit that like I've stood by, well, racist and sexist and marginalizing acts have happened to other people around me. And I was afraid to speak out because I was worried of it, like impacting my uh, place and privilege and like, you know, that, that the situation that I was in and, you know, I'm finding now as I'm older, um, I just don't really give a shit because it's just like, Oh, okay. So you want to like, you know, reprimand me for something on this discrimination suit will probably pay very nicely. So like, bring it on. Let's, let's do this dance. Pieces of crap. Um, but on the photography side of things, um, also not caring helps out a lot with that too, because I did find at first, like I was comparing myself to, um, you know, a lot of other stuff that I see out there. And then, you know, when I first started like getting into the gram stuff and like using the grams more for photography stuff, you know, there's that inherent sort of desire to like get those likes and get that engagement and interaction. And, um, you know, it's something that I've learned over and over in different facets of my life is that it's not about the quantity. It's about the quality of things. And, you know, it's not about how many likes you get, but it's about like, you know, who's engaging with you and, and the people that appreciate the things that you're sharing. And, um, you know, I know that I don't have as many followers as like some other, like, you know, people that post uh, photography work out there have, and I don't get as much engagement, but I've had some very like almost like gut wrenching messages from people just, you know, sort of relaying how photos I've posted have, have meant a lot to them. And even the chat, like, um, I have no idea what I'm doing with the chat. And, um, you know, it's just, it started on a lark like last year with Jason Moore. Um, cause I was just doing that stupid cooking show thing. Um, and like, I don't know what it's going to be. And I, I still don't understand what it is right now. And there's been times where I've like wanted to totally like punch out and bail on it because it is a lot of like work and emotional labor to like do this weekly thing. And, uh, you know, it's, it's almost like the gods know or something. Cause like every time I'm just like, ah, fuck it. Like, I'm just going to stop doing this thing. Um, I'll get like a message from someone being like, Hey, like, you know, I just wanted to say thanks for like doing these chats where I just tuned in and like, it's really cool to like, you know, hear you chat with all these different people. And um, especially during COVID times where like I've several people have like sent messages being, um, Hey, like, I can't get out and meet people. So like this weekly thing is a neat thing because it's almost like I'm meeting a new friend every week and like, you know, I'm learning um, new uh, new perspectives and like new things. And so I was like, oh shit, now I can't quit. 
But then that also sort of like fares up, flares up the imposter syndrome a little bit because it's just like, this is a lot of pressure. Oh my God. And I'm like, I'm just an idiot man child that has no fucking idea what he's doing at the best of times. And there's people relying on me. Um, so I don't have a good answer how to deal with imposter syndrome other than just like, um, you know, you're going to have good days and bad days sometimes. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the biggest thing to try is to, to not care so much about what what people think or to, to please people. And <laughs> so one of the people that actually helped me give less a shit about opinions and actually helps me whenever I am having like an imposter syndrome moment is Mocha Only. Um, he's, he's a rapper from Vancouver for people that aren't familiar with Mocha Only. Uh, he was part of like Swollen Members for a while and a bunch of other different rap groups. And he is a very eccentric um, individual and uh, a friend. Um, and we were talking one night and he said, I make music for me. That's what I make it for. I don't really give a shit what other people think about it, but he's like, I make music that I want to jam out to. And if people like it, that's cool. And if they don't, whatever, it's not for them. Like it's for me. And that's something that's kind of stuck with me. And I had this really pretentious douchebag photographer in Miami during Art Basel in 2019 that I ran into at this really weird art house cinema. And he just kind of snarkily said to me, he's like, who do you shoot for? And I was like, me, I shoot, I shoot for myself. And uh, he didn't really like that answer much because you know, it wasn't some fancy place or something, but it's like, I take pictures for me. And if other people dig them, then that's cool. But it's just like, you know, I make pictures that I like or um, things that I want to remember that I don't want to forget about or that I found interesting. And, uh, yeah, I think when you start doing things more for you than other people, the imposter syndrome gets a little easier to deal with. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think, uh, I don't know, everybody has emotional investment in the work that they do, which is, um, I think it's just personally a tremendously important thing to be in touch with and keep tabs on and um know how much of that emotion lives like completely within your own investment in it and how much of the emotion lives in the other parts of your investment which is i don't know is it like how the work is received or how what you do is received is it uh, what you gain back from it, um, all those things. I find that um, actually this struck me uh, several days ago. Okay, so um, you know DMX passed away um, just about almost a week. I ago. know. Um, I'm super bummed out about that, but and so- I was listening to. Uh, podcast uh new york times podcast they put out a really good just um they interviewed the guy that wrote his co-wrote his autobiography with him and um and it's quite obvious listening to his music and we all like know this about i think um dmx in terms of his emo- the emotional locus of um his work but 
I was struck to actually hear uh, the interviewee, the, the co, the writer that worked on this book with him, um, talk about how music was such a, um, like a, a powerful and stirring, um, almost unstoppably um, forceful emotional outfit, outlet for DMX. Um, that when he compared it with, you know, he's like acted in films and stuff. Um, yeah. he, he said something like, I could, I could do like 10 films and it would be easier for me than doing like one album. Um, and I totally like across all the work that I do, I have all those different portions of like emotional presence and investment and I found that just like wow because for me music is the same thing like um photography design those things like they can make me cry sometimes <laughs> but like yeah. music is the one thing that I do where it's like when I'm feeling too much I actually can't do it and I have to put it aside because of like the I guess the the Venn diagram or the um schematic of how much emotional investment is in there and how much of that is for myself it's like for me m music is the what like that 100 like the whole circle is just like this is all for me um and if there's too much going on i can't engage with it because i'll cry <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> not just because music takes for fucking ever to do like anything but um yeah yeah music is a very powerful medium like, you know, I, I used to play in bands when I was younger and like, it was a lot of fun to do that kind of stuff. And it's, it's a great outlet. Um, but I, I definitely find like for myself, find more of an emotional connection to, um, to photography. And it's not about like the techniques and things like that, because like, I have no fucking idea what I'm doing with the cameras. Like mm -hmm. I just buy shit and, you know, stick around with it until I get a desired result. Um, but there's definitely been like, there's stuff that I'll never share publicly because it's just like, it's too personal or like, I can't, I wouldn't be able to accept any like criticism about it because it's just like, there's too much feeling around those things. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also just lots of stuff that's like, is just not for public consumption. Like, you know, yeah. just something that was like important for just me or like important between like me and the person that were taking those photos. Um, and, and yeah, like it's, I don't know, photography can be really powerful sometimes. Like, um, I really like the work of like Ed and Deanna Templeton. I don't know if you've ever checked out their stuff. Mm -mm. So like Ed, he's, he's like another one of those, like most of the photographers I like all used to be like ex pro skateboarders. So it's like Ed Templeton owns toy machine and like you know, oh, the whole okay. Lee thing and like all that stuff. Um, but Ed and his wife, Deanna have been together like for ages and they're both fantastic photographers. Um, and I really like, um, they do a lot of these like sort of like intimate, like personal portraits of each other that they've shared. Mm -hmm. that have like this this like 
I really like photos that you can you can feel like that moment and it's it's almost like you're like you know transported into like that moment and you can kind of like feel feel that image and stuff and I'd always wanted to make something that that felt that way and um I did last year and it scared the shit out of me <laughs> like it did was you find like it was like a concerted effort to produce something like that or was it it just happened like it just happened like yeah. it was just like a connection with a person and I didn't even know that the images were going to be that powerful until I got them back from the lab and I looked at them and I was just like gobsmacked mm. and it, it actually it, they scared me because I was just like holy shit like this is like the white elephant I've been chasing and now I'm like face to face with it and I kind of want to shit my pants <laughs> <laughs> yeah I definitely have stacks of photographs that I mean also ones that are very personal that I am um, in certain periods of time I don't even want to look at them um yeah. yeah that okay so yeah I can um I guess there's a caveat to my personal um structure I think there are some photographs that do get close to music for me where I you know, sometimes I can't engage. That certainly happened um, this past summer, which I wasn't, something that I didn't really like, feel like talking about um, for a while, but I, I was, I guess not that recently now, like several months ago I was interviewed and I ended up talking about it. And so I'm like, well, fuck, now it's out. Um, the relationship from us, from ourselves to our work is a really interesting thing to observe. Um, and I think it's easy to take for granted um, until you're presented with a life experience or man, like, you know, a context, anything um, that really causes you to see for yourself um, how much a creative output um, is a way of just pulling stuff out of you. And that is also just so connected to things about who you are that at any point in time, you may or may not want to remember or face. Um, yeah, it happened for me this summer because I got really sick and then um, there was family stuff. And for a solid, like, I don't know. Well, you know about this, but yeah, like three, four months, I was both experiencing extreme like body dysmorphia. Um, and I was just um, kind of alienated from the familiar, familial impetus um, for my photography work, which is my relationship with my dad. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's like I was at a standstill because, like, I use photography to process things, especially, like, things about myself personally, and um, it was wrenching. I felt like I had, I was, like, in so much sadness and stress and um, despair and grieving, and I had nothing to turn to because, like, the 
all the outlets that I would normally turn to, and especially photography, just became like too hard for me to engage yeah. with. And that was so incredible to witness in myself. Because um, I always kind of thought like, you know, like if I can't do music, if there's nothing, um, you know, like photography also always felt like the last bastion of like creative work that I do to um, help myself and to kind of like actually break through that wall and just be like, oh my God, I'm like living through an experience where I can't even do that. Um, it blew my fucking mind. Um, and it was just as wonderful and interesting to see myself come back into being able to do it again and what that looked like. appreciate you sharing that with us mm. yeah we got real quick <laughs> i don't think anything's too there. real to talk about <laughs> no i don't think anything's too real to talk about either like i mean i it's not the most intense conversation i've had on the chat that that um crown belongs to mr david hunter who uh who made me cry on uh on our chat that i had with him last year uh, because we just hit some like very very emotional topics um because yeah fo photos do have do have a lot of power and weight like i've got a gray box of photos that um i don't want to look at at all but I also don't want to destroy them. I do want to light them on fire very badly. Like, you know, whenever I think about them, I want to torch them. But then I'm like, one day, I'm not going to feel that way about them. And if I do, if, like, if I ha did end up torching them, I would be, you know, pretty remiss about that. So um, I have a gray box where things go to die for a little while. I have yeah. that too, but it's just like, folders of um like shitty london drugs prints and like mm. the the cd roms that they give you because they don't know how else to give you scans um, i know that's like the one thing i'm sad about moving to vancouver is that like there's just not a decent lab there <laughs> like yeah well there's a i mean there's the lab but um yeah, but they charge so much damn money and they charge like a fucking arm and a leg for scans. Like their yeah. scanning prices are stuck in like 2001. Yeah. Um, that's why I go to London Drugs. Cause it's just right? Like... I've been very spoiled by Toronto. Alex disagrees. Alex says <laughs> I'm lying. Yeah. I, well, I, like I know the lab's good. Like, not <laughs> disparage like rocket reproduction in, mm -hmm. in uh, the, the lab. Um, but like I've been extremely spoiled by like what downtown camera does because like I literally just drop my film off and give them money and then like either the same day or the next day I get a text message with all of my pictures yeah and then at some point when it behooves me to go in and pick up my negatives after they complain a bunch that I have stacks of negatives sitting there I, I go fetch them <laughs> so. I really like it like um <laughs> London Drugs is like aberrantly slow, like so fucking slow. And 
their sort of system for um, getting you your stuff is very, like, I kind of imagine, like, a bunch of gerbils, like, in a shoebox that are just, like, <laughs> and sometimes the outputs come out, like, at the right time, but usually it's, like, you don't, like, say I order, like, scans and prints. Like, they'll get the scans, and then I'll, like, put in orders for, like, the prints from the scans, which is kind of how their system works, but then, like, the prints never happen. Or, like, I'll ask for, like, two or three of, like, a couple exposures, and I never, I never, get, like, never. I never get the extras. It's, like, you never know what's going to fucking happen. It's great. Um, I'm just, like, okay, well, at the end of the day, all I care about is that I get the scans, so... And at least it's like better than Walmart. Like for our American and Eastern friends out there, London Drugs is like uh, CVS or Rexall, and they just happen to also sell a lot of photography equipment. Like they they're huge. They sell everything. This is an important thing to like tell American homies. But it's it's a really oh man yeah and when I first moved here I was just like what is this place and I had like a friend who was half American and like his family was in Cal from Calgary and he was like yeah okay like London Drugs is its own like imagine Walmart but it's not Walmart but you can still get lawn chairs and like floaty pool noodles but you can also get your photos developed and you can also buy cds and you can all but it's not quite at the level of a walmart it's just like a it's it's like drug store. The, it's like the whole foods of walmart's mm, <laughs> uh, i don't know i think it might be a little bit too like it's a little more upscale than that. a walmart is but it's a little bit more upscale than a walmart because it's like if a walmart was like a tiny bit more upscale and bougie with an apple store I would I would put London Drugs on the same plane as like CVS. That's fair. Yeah, it's like CVS with an Apple Store and a photo lab. Mhm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I do love the shit out of CVS. Oh my, like... <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. I I miss America. I like, also miss America. So, like, I'm in the middle of packing right now, and I was, like, going through some cabinets, and I found an old Charlie card from my last trip to Boston, oh. and it made me, like, so sad, because I was just like, I miss Boston. Oh. I never really miss... Apologies to anybody here who's from Boston. I think it's just Pete, if he's still on. You know, Pete, Pete's straight oh. out of Mac. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I never miss a... Boston. I, like... And I, you know, I grew up going there very, very regularly. I never miss it. I just like, oh, it would be nice to like spend six hours there. But, uh. <laughs> Cromwell, the soul stealers from there. I mean, oh. the problem with Boston is it's filled with a bunch of mass holes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm from New Hampshire, guys, so. It's not like I don't know what y'all are about. <laughs> but you don't, you've been in you Canada come up to where you, I, you <laughs> They come up to where I live or am from to like get things at the liquor store because we don't have a sales tax. And like, mm. I don't know what else they can do there. 
that is so radical. Uh, we used to not have seatbelt laws. I don't know if uh, New Hampshire now has seatbelt laws. Yeah, Pete, Pete's in New Hampshire. So uh, oh, Pete's the guy that I, I do uh, large format Fridays with Pete. Cool. Yeah. Lots to you. I mean, who doesn't like that? <laughs> yeah, it's so real. I forgot about that. Like, going to convenience stores in New Hampshire that are just, like, into the New Hampshire, kind of, like, close to the border is a really, like, yeah, get you cigarettes, like, get you fucking, like... There you go. There there she is. That's... <laughs> I have to think really hard before I do a New England accent. <laughs> I grew up, like, with a Polish accent and, like, a New Yorker, so... I just, oh, wow. I don't, I have to like, yeah, I have to have new, I have to have New Englanders like kind of talk at me for a little bit before I'm like, oh, yeah. So I, I, I used to work at a call center for Time Warner Broadband Roadrunner Cable, and we had to deal with Americans primarily, and this is when I lived in Kamloops, but the problem I had there was like, when I hear people's accents, I start talking back to them in those accents like if, if we're on the call for a long time and then people yeah. be like you making fun of me and I'm like I don't know what you're talking about like <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm trying my best over here to just sound like myself exactly yeah yeah I don't know photography is like a wild thing I'm excited though that I got a, I got a new toy today that we'll have to play with when I get to Vancouver um, it's very exciting. Uh, is Lots a cooler eight by ten processor? Wow! Wow! Yeah. Wow! The first step, <laughs> and then I got like here's a the the film holder for it. So it's got like the. The 8x10 Polaroid film holder mm -hmm. to shoot the big old instant films. So they're getting like really hard to find now. And a friend of mine had a spare one and mm -hmm. was like, I'll give you a good deal on it. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like hilarious that I now have an 8x10 processor, but I do not have an 8x10 camera yet. It's <laughs> amazing. I have to, by the way, like, I want to thank you so much for throwing me that one step um I honestly never thought that I would get into instant photography and after really? yeah I don't know I always kind of like okay I had a land camera like a really long time ago and then it very quickly became like not that usable slash I could only use it as like um like a slide film situation because I would have had to like open it put a card in expose it then like run back into it you know so like that was not very um efficient um yeah. and yeah so like i never thought of my stuff translating to that format because i've always been about like hyper detailed like and just especially the kind of textures i'm really into just like um highlights and like splashes of light and like color like i i just like oh it's it'll be too muddy like it just it won't pick up the things that i'm like obsessed with however 
when I got that camera from you, I was like, okay, this is a fun challenge. Like, how am I going to translate, like, my shit to this little new animal pet thing? You know, like, going back to what I said at the beginning. And because, you know, in our heads, instant is really just like, oh, it's like, you have one at a party and you take these, like, high flash, like, fun whatever photos of people and they're instantaneous and then you put it on your fridge um i had a i mean i'd seen tons of like amazing instant photography but i never like put my stuff and like my work in my head like in that in that area um for making the things that i like to make so yeah there was one blessed day like I guess it would have been like two months ago now um, when I was like, okay, if I make double exposures and I'm very like strategic and scientific about it, I think I can figure out how to like translate like my worldview into this a little bit. And it was really like, and that was kind of like all I want to do and I'm just like I want more I want like a bigger one I want one that like you know I just I I the the thing has been like like popped open for me um the one the one step the one step (laughs) plus like I think it's a very underrated camera honestly like a lot of people are quick to condemn it because like they're going it's it's an eye type camera and it's cheap it's got a plastic lens and like all this stuff but you know you could look at it that way or you could look at it like here's a tool that has all these great functions that no other polaroid camera has right now unless you spend like the money on like a mint slr 670 but being able to have which doesn't even have like the bluetooth control and stuff which is like super cool like you know, the uh, pandemic book that I'm going to be um, putting for pre-order once I get to Vancouver, because I'm not going to try and do that um, while I'm doing the move here. That wouldn't have happened if, I, if it wasn't for the One Step Plus. Because being able to, like, remote control it with a Bluetooth and have, like, all those options and stuff, like, it's, it's such a cool camera. But now that you're hooked on Polaroid, the next step is you got to get yourself one of the, one of the pop-up guys. Yeah, I really want one. And I totally felt, like, weird about all of the um, functionalities of the One Step for a little bit there. Just like, this is... I I think it's because I tend to think about the market applications of any product, which is a natural side effect of having worked in marketing and worked as, like, a creative director. I'm just like, why does this thing exist? Oh, it exists because they got to make these people happy and like yeah. yeah so it was like this is so weird that it like connects to my phone and like it's cool though know. like when when you get around to it like it's it's a very funky little camera and one thing to try with it um if you're taking a picture of someone tilt it sideways and shoot them sideways because the flash the way that it diffuses the light it shadows them so it kind of like creates this neat shadow you were there the first time i figured it out because we were at um mammy taylor's having dinner and i took a picture oh! of friend brian and discovered that mm-hmm. yeah you, you were there when i discovered it. like this 
yeah <laughs> it was so so great um uh, john has a question for you here if you shoot large format pardon uh john was asking if you shoot large format i oh e not large medium and it's like can i find it is it around i think it's in the drawer. I have a really like turn of last century um, medium format camera. Medium format. Like, one of the nineteen tens, possibly. Oh shit! So it's like <laughs> one of the pop out ones. Like, kind of and then it's got like a little bellows, nice. and it's like. I just um, scored this guy. I traded my Nikon F three. For, for this Texas Leica. And uh, it's a fucking tank. I'm kind of in love with this thing. But the whole point of moving was I was supposed to stop getting new stuff. And, you know, I seem to be getting more of it. And John, I do not have an 8x10 yet, but um, that is on the coming soon thing. So Armand at the camera, Denton Camera Exchange in Dentessas is holding on to an 8x10 for me that we're working things out on. So, um, yeah, we'll be able to play with, because if you want to get into, like, you know, bigger Polaroid Monica, this is, it doesn't get any bigger than the Monica. 8x10. Monica, yes. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> um, yeah, so we can definitely play around with that guy this summer. Yeah, I would love that. I'm hungry yeah. for more more better, more better stuffs. Um, I've been really interested in the like, the distressing that happens with the exposures too. Sometimes it pisses me off. Because um, it seems like sometimes they get kind of streaky. And I'm just like, ah, I wish that wasn't like the first sort of batch of crazy double exposures I did, they all had like, a, I think there was like a um, partially exposed sort of strip in the middle of the stack of film so they all came out with like well what can also happen too is sometimes because there's actually three different um three different developer pods uh, you get, uh, here okay you can't really see it's super bright but there's actually three different oh yeah now you can see it and there's me um you can <laughs> see there's three different developer pods and sometimes if something's like if one of them is aged differently than the other ones, you'll get weird development happen. Ah. Oh. So if, if you're getting a consistent streak in like one of one area, it could be one of the development pods. And maybe it was just like a bad batch of them. Yeah, and that, it was it was just that one batch of uh black and white and then temperature is also like a very picky thing like they don't like um being too cold they don't like being too hot so like that's um like if you have the camera out and cold and it's been very chilly then you might see some weird aberrations mm -hmm. inside of uh the photo and then like if you are shooting when it's colder out um what i typically do is i take the shot and tuck it under my armpit mm -hmm. Like, you know, let it, you know, sort of percolate in the heat a little bit. And then I always keep the boxes that I um, pull the film out of and I put, so after a couple minutes under the armpit, I 
put the um, shot inside of the box so that it could uh, percolate in the dark. Um, if you want to be super bougie, you can buy the Brooklyn Film Camera Toaster that's soon to be coming out so that mm -hmm. you can put it in an electric lockbox, which has the perfect temperature and everything. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm sure lots of hipsters will jump on that shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the revival of, I don't know, of, is there a revival of instant film going on? Right, I feel like there is um, simply because of the way that it's being used right now in concert with the aesthetic that it latches itself. Well, that its aesthetic is its aesthetic, but its aesthetic has become um, such a normalized and omnipresent part of like visual culture within the last like, oh, like, I don't know, like two years. Yeah. And I had like a lot of good like sort of spitballs with some other friends and photographers about how much um, that look has actually influenced. And I mean, like Alex and I just complained about this a lot too. Um, how much it influences when you work in um, in commercial photography, how mm. much the desire for that aesthetic um, pervades and then like informs like what is expected of like commercial work um and it's a kind of wild thing to sort of like you know like instagram is kind of how we digest this shit but it's it's wild to like see that being replicated not just in the like oh like you go to instagram like all this stuff looks the same but then to have that when you work in commercial photography or in marketing um see the effects of that actually come at you in terms of like this is what we're going for this is what we like blah 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 like for like selling things it's like it's obviously a thing that happens okay but it blow like seeing it in real time blows my mind well there there definitely um has been a lot more interest in it like it's um you know impossible and in polaroid originals and now polaroid have done a really good job of like reviving the medium um, for Polaroid specifically. And then like Fuji, um, you know, if you can say they did a good thing, um, have done a good thing with like the Instax platform where they've created a very great film medium, like Instax film medium. Um, I will not disparage how good it is um, because the, the film itself is like fantastic their cameras just suck but you know that's for the target market though like you know they're positioning these cameras for entry level um you know consumers like for parties and things like that like you know here get these moments or for like kids to play around with like the instax mini to like you know capture their moments and stuff and it's a great gateway getting into like the instant um film sort of like rabbit hole mm -hmm. In Polaroid, um, for as much as people like to criticize um, them now, um, has been doing a good job of like, you know, keeping this medium alive. You know, is it perfect? Not even close. Like, you know, it's, um, and I think that's something that a lot of people either don't know or tend to forget is that this is not Polaroid film, even though it says Polaroid today. When they first started making this film in 20, uh, 2008, um, it was called Polaroid compatible film. 
because mm -hmm. uh, it's not exactly the same film. So it's like, you know, original Polaroid had 10 shots inside of it. New Polaroid has only eight um, because the new frames are a lot thicker um, than the original frames were. And also all of the chemical compounds and it, all the chemistry inside of it is completely different from the original Polaroid. Um, and, and like, you know, there was a lot of people sort of like shitting on the latest thing that they released, which was the round frame uh, Polaroids, which um, we're definitely going to play with because I ordered a whole bunch of them. And <laughs> they're, they're on the, like, I decided to have them shipped to the Vancouver house instead of like shipping them to Toronto because I was like, uh, you know, I don't want to like not be here when they arrive. So, um, but a lot of people were sort of poo-pooing on the round frame stuff because like literally all they did to make round frame was they just masked a, a round frame on like a regular thing. So it's like, there's like the corners are still going to have film and like developers still going to go on them, but you're only going to be, um, you know, shooting the center part of it. And a lot of people are like, oh, like a great way to waste money. And it's like, whatever, like if people enjoy it and people create things with it and, and have fun with it, then what's the problem? Like, you mm -hmm. know, just because you don't want to buy it because you think it's a way, then don't, like, just don't buy it. Like, you know, like I, I kind of uh, look at it as like, it's a, it's a very great privilege to be able to buy film for these cameras that, you know, technically should be dead now mm -hmm. like you know when polaroid died in 2008 these cameras all died with it um and so now like in 2021 to still be able to buy film to take any kind of image with it is is kind of amazing like you know and then the revival is is continuing beyond like you know the the polaroid cameras that shoot the sx70 and 600 film is that you know there's companies in like um the Massachusetts, New Hampshire, or there's uh, one out there called New 55. And uh, New 55 is reviving four by five instant sheet film, which is super fucking cool. So like, there's another, like, if you want to get into big frame uh, instant film, um, we could dick around with a large format camera this summer. And like, I've been meaning to order some New 55 so we can, we can get some of that up and play around with that. But you can have four by five sheets of like instant mm -hmm. uh, film. And then there's SuperSense out of Vienna that has made the one instant product, which is um, not a replacement for pack film because they can't pack, do pack film like the way they used to. But, you know, they've created this um, system where you can do one shot in a pack film camera with the one instant film. And, and that's pretty freaking cool too. Um, you know, and a lot of people were like, oh, it's, it's expensive and ridiculous. And I'm like, then don't buy it. Like, I don't think it's expensive or ridiculous. Like, yeah, it, it's a little pricey, but it's another way to create. It's another tool to experiment with. And it's also something that's going to keep these old cameras that I love alive just a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's uh, it's pretty cool. And, and sadly, uh, Ishkan, uh, you're, you're not going to get it from Downtown Camera. It was an online-only thing, and uh, Polaroid sold out of it the first day that they launched it. So, um, you know, they, they might do another round of, uh, run of the round frames. So, uh, you know, keep an eye on that and uh, see uh, see what's up. Yeah. What was I just going to say? I, I kind of wish I had an Instax Mini. I, I don't know. I think Alex might have one somewhere. 
You I'm don't not, have a, you guys don't have an Insax Mini? If not, it's not in my possession. Okay. If it exists, it's if, in, it's if you in, are going to go with an Instax camera, the one I would really recommend is go Instax Square because <laughs> it's just a little bit bigger than the Instax Mini. So it's like, the this is an Instax Mini. The Instax Square squares it up a little bit. So it's like, it's all even. So it's, it's almost like a miniature version of a Polaroid. Alex, but, nope. Oh, dang. Well, um, you can find them used. I might have an extra one. I'd probably be selling when I get over there because I have a big camera purge. So, um, yeah, I, I do have one actually. So Ooh, we, can, we can talk about that one. <laughs> yeah, they do double exposure and they do double exposures really well. Like, um, I think you'd have a lot of fun with um, within SQ6. Um, yeah, when I get to Vancouver, you can try it out. And if you like it, we can work something out. Cool. And the thing, the, the kind of bonus with Instax is um, it is cheaper than Polaroid. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's, uh, mm -hmm. it's kind of cool. Yeah, the credit card size, so, so Chris makes a point here, the credit card size is, is kind of neat. Um, and I do like it. Like I usually use mini to give away photos to people because it is cheaper, like giving away Polaroids. Uh, gets expensive after a while. Yes, yeah. which I, because now it's like all the film that I have is like, oh, uh, you know, I just really want to use it for the very purposeful, like, kind of work that I've been doing with it that I almost feel not bad, but you feel the, the investment pressure a little bit with like, oh, if I just use this to take a picture of like something random instead of like what I want to like use use it for for this project or use it for creatively, it's just gonna like oh, that's a um, I just lost I lost some money there, but I guess it's like that with everything. For I sure. became what? It definitely is. Like I mean. It, it's an expensive thing, but um, as as best as you can, try not to look at it like a precious resource because, mm -hmm. like, um, you just have fun creating with it. Um, and, like, if you do want to get into the pop-up camera, I would probably recommend either the SX-70 Sonar or regular SX-70. Um, just because, like, you have access to a studio, and one of the cool things you can do with it is um, you can get an adapter so that you can plug it into studio lighting. So you can, like, either hook it up to a wireless trigger or just directly plug it in. Mm -hmm. And um, fucking around with studio lighting on Polaroid, I've been able to, like, create some really cool shit. Yeah, I've been wanting to get, I don't know. Back to imposter syndrome, that was always a thing that was like, oh. Um, also, somebody just said insects color is better than Polaroid. Totally noticed that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's why it's kind of like in my head. But yeah, um, I guess because like I kind of have worked, you know, with Alex a lot um, in studio. And like, so that was kind of 
always his domain and then my domain has been like I don't know out in the world shit but as I've been honing in more and more especially with well actually specifically with um the Polaroid camera and using my home as a studio and creating lighting setups um at home for it I've been so interested in actually making stuff in the studio with that um which again is an interesting confrontation of preconceived notions about what that film is for and what it can do because again um the outcome's not the same as when we use like a more like hi-fi um output for that kind of work but i think it's just as beautiful and important and um yeah, it, it can be, but I think like when you try it in one of the SLR cameras, it it does change it quite a bit because like you know these these cameras have like a real like glass lens in them, and when you're looking through it, like you're actually seeing what you're creating for the image because they're a true SLR camera. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot more flexibility for like what you're creating with it there because when you're shooting with like the one step or other box cameras, you don't actually get to see what the camera is seeing. So you're yeah. just kind of like you're looking through that barrel beside the lens and you're kind of like just guessing. Um, so yeah, like, you know, maybe maybe I'll let you play with one of them in the studio and you can see um, mm-hmm. see if it's for you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, like, glass changes everything, like, the camera that it's in changes everything, but um, there was just a personal, like, my mind hadn't gone there at all um, with instant until I started doing shit at home and being kind of deliberate with it. Well, yeah, like, I think that's, that's a fair point, because a lot of people don't really take instant very seriously. Well, yeah, totally. Yeah. You know, there, there's a very interesting community all around Instant. Um, you know, that's part of this poster right there. Uh, mm-hmm. That's for, for Policon, uh, which Brian, who's going to be my guest next week, is, you know, one of my Polaroid brothers out there. And some of the, the stuff that people are creating with Instant is is mind-blowing, like just absolutely uh, gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just, yeah, it's very interesting. Like, it's it's really cool yeah dreamy yeah it can be very dreamy like it's uh it's neat and then like also like it's getting a bit harder to find find it now but like um you know when i was first getting into it like being able to find uh old expired films to play with um it was so cool like you know there's a lot of like neat stuff that you could do with uh with those expired films like depending on um how the emulsion is and how the chemicals are um like some of my favorite photos i've made with expired film but it's getting harder to find now Mm -hmm. yeah it's uh instant's cool um i have definitely spent more money than i like to think on (laughs) on film (laughs) yeah i mean who doesn't i got kind of spoilt well okay so i really like my um 
Fujifilm X-TI because it really does and did and still, you know, allows me to sort of like have a visual idea and kind of like rip through it and I'm like, I can take as many as I want and they look like this. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, that's a real ass thing. But um, my appetite for carrying cameras that require me to sit there and um, be a bit of a perfectionist about it has interestingly enough waned in, well, I guess over the past year. And I've become a little bit more obsessed with things that like involve a lot of release of control um, and kind of like only dialing the things that I know that I can or want to dial and then everything else just like fuck it if that's not in focus I don't really care um, I think actually now that I like narrate my head I think that the only thing that I really care about in the end is framing <laughs> as long as something is like perfectly framed like exactly the way I want it to I won't care if like I fuck something else up well and sometimes like sharpness and focus and like those all that kind of stuff aren't really like framing is really like the important part because mm. um I've noticed like there's been some shots that I've taken recently where it's like the focus is off but I still like how it all turned out because it actually gives the picture more feeling than it would have had if it was like all sharp and, and right mm -hmm. um and then also like using older lenses and stuff like that was um you know something that I learned from from Jason was who sometimes it is interesting to use like older glass and glass that's maybe like been beat up a little bit because it gives this sort of like softness and sometimes like a dreamy quality to mm -hmm. the images yeah it's like Alex got a bunch of um like, yes, I'm here just talking about my um, creative life partner on this. Uh, he got a bunch of, like, old glass uh, a couple months back, and it's been interesting. I always, I don't know if it's because of my shitty vision, but I, I have hypothesized that this could be why. I have shitty vision. My I have astigmatism, so my eyes just, like, complete, they compete with each other. If I look through a viewfinder of any kind. I'm either like not going to actually see um, what's really going on and I hate wearing glasses and I don't usually wear glasses unless I'm reading. So anyway, I've hypothesized that I care about framing so much because that's what locks in like the, um, the balance, like the gestalt of the image is just like, what is in that? Yeah. And how are things distributed? Um, and I think you know, I used to get really mad about like, oh man, I wanted this thing to be in focus and, <laughs> and it's not in focus. And I don't know, I guess I've become more used to and really comfy with just like, I want to get the balance right um, in terms of like what is being shown. But outside yeah. of that, I'm kind of happy for there to be um, a lot of like, God knows what the fuck going on. That's very true, yeah. Yeah, just as long as it's kind of fun. Like, I mean, so part of that Texas Leica deal was um, 
I also got this little Soviet number. It's it's a Russian tech uh, Leica ripoff. Oh, sick! <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's called a, a Zorky, um, and it has like they ripped off like Leica completely. Like they ripped off the the, the body, they ripped off the lens, and like this lens is like fuck, like probably from like the fifties or maybe later. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the images I've gotten from it from the last couple rolls I put through have been really cool like they're a lot of it's like really soft and stuff but like you know it's it's given me like a new appreciation of like not having to like make things sharp and things like that like it's but with the eyesight stuff like I get that too like I've got a wicked stigmatism Mm -hmm. um in in my eyes and I, I always knew about that but then uh after the car accident I got in to see um an op, opt, whatever, eye doctor, yeah, ophthalmologist, and um, she did some, like, you know, crazy looking into my eyes and testing my eyes and stuff, and found that they're, on top of the stigmatism, they're fighting each other all the time, yeah. and they're over-focusing, yeah. um, which she's like, before you got the brain injury, it was fine because like your brain would just ignore all of that extra input that was coming in. But she's like, now that you're dealing with the brain injury, like your brain can't handle all that extra input. So it's like, it's tiring and it's exhausting. So I had to get these like special crazy ass glasses that have like things inside of it that um, like relax my eyes so that they're not over focusing all the time I have one pair like that mine do the same thing it's really funny too because um, I can feel that when it's happening and it's kind of wild like I'll I'll look at something and I can feel you know my, my eye will focus on it and it's like okay this is sharp now and if I move my eye especially too quickly like away and then to back to like the same thing there will be a moment where just kind of like an automatic zoom is just kind of like yeah and i got a pair of glasses like four years ago that they're are transitions or whatever so like there there's different like whatever like planos or cylinders like going okay. across or like down the whole thing and i can feel my eyes like working differently like when they're like on different in different parts of the glasses um but yeah somebody just commented about like the fear of losing eyesight and it's like that's like i've become so accustomed to how shitty my eyes are and i just because i'm too lazy to wear glasses most of the time um when i go out in the world and i happen to be wearing glasses i am stunned by the hd nature of the world. <laughs> Maybe that's your like subconscious trick to like always be amazed and surprised with the world is just like, you know, look at it kind of in a muddy sense and then every once in a while like tune in HD and be like, Whoa, Yeah, this is, is like, oh my God, people can see like this. Like they can see <laughs> wow. Um and yeah, I never thought of myself as being like totally married to like, uh like this is this the sense that I never want to lose because um i don't know they all kind of work together and i consider myself a very sensually entrenched maybe slightly synesthetic person 
Um, but I think vision, like even though mine isn't that great, it's emerged as the one that I'm also just afraid um, to lose the most. Me probably. too. Yeah. yeah, like that's I. I get freaked out about it all the time, and it's just like you know, it's as, as I'm getting older, I'm like you know, are my eyes gonna get worse? Like, ah, well, they probably are. Like, every time I've gone to get my eyes examined, like, and I think being a graphic designer is to blame for a lot of yeah, the, um, so much, like fine tuning bullshit. Um, like, the I don't know, the um, exponential decline in my eyesight between like optometrist visits over the past several years has been just like not good um i mean like i haven't gone i i need to go again i'm not up to date but i remember like the last one i went between that one and the one before um the doctor was like wow this is a lot <laughs> this is a lot bad <laughs> um yeah i don't know we can probably all look forward to like becoming blind yeah, it's great. I mean, like, at the end of the day, we're all just rotting bags of meat, so that's cool. Yeah, but it's a beautiful <laughs> to... it It's a beautiful decay of sorts, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> life, it's fun. Yeah, meatbag uh, life. <laughs> What's that? Meatbag life. Meat, yeah, meatbag life. Well, like, that's the thing that's always, like, kind of blown my mind a little bit is, like, we're just like meat bags with a little spark of electricity. That and, make yeah, it and water? Cool. Yeah. Like that's, I've always loved like the, that line from Fifth Element when Bruce Willis is like, I am a meat popsicle. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I haven't seen Fifth Element in probably well over 15 years. Oh, damn. It's, it's a great one. Some of the, we're all rotting bags of meat, but some of us. Yes, Lincoln. <laughs> Looking up. I know, um, personally, I'm probably pretty tasty, but I, you know, it's going to be a while before any of us find out. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> some of us are probably going to be less tasty than others. Cause I always think about like, and did you ever grow up around like hunters as a kid? Oh like, yeah, like, dude, I'm from New stuff? England. That's like all right. anyone does there, and subsistence hunting. Yeah, so it's like, have you ever had the displeasure of like eating a garbage bear? Sorry, say that again. Eating a garbage bear. I haven't eaten a garbage bear. It's kind of terrible. So okay. it, it's like, you don't know it when, like, when the hunters are shooting it, but it's like, you know, sometimes they'll end up getting, a, like, it's usually bears because they're the ones that go through garbage the most out in BC. Oh. But you get a bear that's, like, you know, been predominantly li living off of garbage and it, like, eats the meat and it, it does not, it does not taste <laughs> very good at all. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of picture that with like, you know, how some of um, the, like, how some of us eat and take care of ourselves. It's like, oh, there's definitely some like human garbage bears out there. <laughs> uh, human garbage bear.
My yes. diet over the pandemic, well, my diet since getting sick and getting better has turned more into whatever the fuck I feel like could be garbage. I used to care a lot more. Um, now, I'm eating healthy dark chocolate nuggets that my mother-in-law brought me for, like, as part of, like, an Easter um, sort of, like, care package drop off because we can't we don't do like real easter anymore obviously and i'm a lapsed catholic i don't want to celebrate easter anymore but she doesn't <laughs> so she still thinks i'm healthy so she got me healthy candy but i don't know i'm a terrible catholic like i mean i went through and got all my like my like catholic honor badges except for touched by a priest um <laughs> Yeah, which is kind of like amazing because I did spend a few years as an altar boy, so it's just like, damn, oh, like you know. Put in your time, I I did I, like I got all the badges. I just GTFO. Yeah, we were terrible altar boys though. Like, um, we, um, <laughs> we used to steal the sacramental wine. <laughs> I mean, like, who doesn't? Well, so the and and this is like what started. I th I think this is where like my understanding of like ethical gray areas began. Like this could have been like one of the earliest things that I remember that like started building the foundation of uh, the ethical gray areas that I live in today. But we caught the priest imbibing in the sacramental wine in like the downstairs area where you would like get all prepped up and everything yes and everybody stole the wine yeah so we were just like well if, if the big man's taking it then uh you know we'll just take a little bit here like we yeah. literally we caught him like he was not only like drinking the wine but he was like snacking on the wafers <laughs> like it was all fucking loaded okay. just like drinking like <laughs> It's there. Sometimes a motherfucker got low blood sugar, like Jesus juice, yeah. <laughs> Jesus juice. Also, okay, so stopped going to Catholic church when I was like young, young, and then we moved, and then um, my mom found all of the Catholic churches in North America dissatisfactory because they are weird. Like they're a lot more like weird and like culty and kind of like. I don't know. Polish Catholicism is very like, it's your shit. You met, it's like, this is a quiet time. This is like, you and God, like, we just don't get an abortion. Like, we love Mary. Um, yeah. Great. Um, and in North America, church is very like, in your face, like, we're singing all the time. And she's just like, this is weird. So we ended up going to kind of like a, Oh, okay. So it was like a UCC church, like later when I was like. Sorry, what's the what you? Okay, so United Church of Christ is kind of oh, like okay. a Protestant yeah. branch, but they're sort of like the more like lenient and cool. Okay. Um. So yeah, they had the best bread that I've ever tasted in my life. Um, no doubt because it was baked by these like wonderful middle-aged to um senior new england ladies who knew how to bake the fuck out of some bread um nice. and they would like give you like a nice piece like when you were doing the sacrament and i was just like inch and a half thick slice of like fluffy ass 
New England white bread. And I remember thinking, like, when I was, like, really young, just like, this is just tasty. Like, why am I even here? Um, anyway, that was a tangent. Well, Do you, you think were Catholic... The what? You, were, you were there to eat the body of Christ. Yeah, I know. Do you think Catholics... Um, I think we live up to our stereotype as being like, I don't know, having a hedonistic bent because we've been told so many things about living are bad. Um, yeah, like, I mean, fuck, like, I'm almost 40 and there are still times where I still feel guilty about masturbating. <laughs> No. <laughs> yeah, sometimes like it just it, it like it creeps in in my mind there. Um yeah, cuz like when I was a kid, like you know, my parents would be like, you know, you Jesus and God are like watching you up above and your grandpa's watching you and I was just like, ew. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. No one should like... be watching what I do <laughs> in my alone time. <laughs> I never allowed that to get to me, obviously. Um yeah, that one, that's, I, now we're getting into things that have nothing to do with photography, but could have something to do with photography, and it's something that I'm very passionate about, which is the expression of sensuality that is not a sexualized facet of human experience. Well, and so that's an interesting thing, because, like, I yeah, was... All the um, shit about, like, I'm sorry, I'm just going to, like... No, no, go ahead. That happened, like, this past year with SESTA, FOSTA, Instagram, everything... Protestant culture, making anything that has to do with the human body, like, it's sexy. It's like, you know what? No, it is just a body. Yeah. If you find it attractive in that way, that's good. But that cannot be the only way that we read the human body. And it becomes a very, very huge fucking pain in the ass um, thing to reckon with, especially as a woman who creates work that is in the, like, sensual erotic well it's called erotic photography because it's naked bodies which i fucking hate um yeah. photography realm to constantly have to like perform this like oh my god if i do this is it too sexy do i even care no i don't care but i hate the fact that some things are going to be read as such and their very existence is going to be read as erotic when it's really just about occupying a body and kind of like loving the fact that it can look away and be away and exist away however i choose to portray it um yeah north america has done a damn job of just like sewing that thing right up for everybody well yeah like i mean the pure technical underpinnings of like the societal construct we live in has done so much great good so many wonderful things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I, yeah, like the, the, the sexualization of things is an interesting one because like I was seeing a bunch of stories and I talked with some friends today about like a few more photographers who were ousted as like, um, you know, being predators and things like that. And it's just like it's so fucked up that like you know there's so many people out there that can't separate like you know 
nudity and things like that from sexualization. You know, it's like never once when I've been shooting someone who is, is naked, have I been like, oh my God, I'm like so fucking horny and like want to like do shit with this person right now. It's like, that's not like what that moment is about. Like it doesn't like, <laughs> I, I remember like a shoot I was doing last summer it was like fucking hilarious like the two of them were like totally like buck-ass naked and we were like i think we were talking about like rotting corpses or something like that, like other shit <laughs> we we're just having like these really weird just like fucking crazy like conversations and it was just completely unfazing that you know they were two very beautiful naked people in front of me that you know it, that had nothing to do with that moment, um, and I, I think like you know the some of these like religious upbringings and these very like strict like you know puritanical upbringings that so many people have been brought up in are the main contributing factor of like all of this like sexual abuse and you know inappropriate behavior. And, and things like that, because um, we've made sex seem like a bad thing, mm, and and, like, like a taboo. And it's not just that, it's been, you know, over times, generation, millennia, it's been not only culturally entrenched, but like, there's kind of just like this psychological sort of short wiring you know that's been encouraged um you know if you want to go back to like how religion and like um especially kind of like more serious and orthodox forms of some religion treat sexual impulse um yeah like re exactly it's it's repression of these things that are very normal and human that creates a you know, dividing consciousness and the need to say it's bad, put it in a bucket and like not yeah. have anything to do with it um, because they've been so um, like made black or white. Like if it's naked, it's sex. If it's sex, it's bad. Or if it's like, yeah. if it's the human body, it's sex. If it's sex, it's bad. So that makes anything that falls into that set of categories like bad. And um, as time goes on, the repression just gets more and more like kind of like insidious. Like you can't help but not notice it because it's so much a part of how you view the world now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it has become very insidious and mm -hmm. It's it's very problematic, and it's like, you know, I, I was talking to a friend today about, like, sexism issues and, like, how how we need to address it and um, how difficult it is to address because there's a lot of sensitivity around it, um, and rightly so because, like, you know, it's, it is a very sensitive matter um, that that men actually need to be a lot more involved in because men are the problem with it. And so it's just like, you know, having conversations and not in including 
men as part of those conversations is, isn't going to fix it yeah. because, you know, men need to understand why this is a problem and why women feel uncomfortable and unsafe in the presence of, of, of men. Because like, you know, a guy would be like, well, I, like, I'm a good guy. Like, I'm not going to do anything. It's like, well, how, how does that person know that though? They don't because their, their experience with men have been, you know, not a positive experience. Like every woman I know has been like sexually assaulted or abused or like, you know, something has happened to them that, that has ruined their, like every single woman I know has had something happen to them. You know, whether it be like, you know, something small, like unwanted attention or like, you know, something like, but like, you know, something that they didn't want happen to them by a man that was like, you know, justified by that man. Cause it, well, I was just giving like a nice comment or like, you know, I was just like appreciating their look or something. And it's mm -hmm. like, you can do that and not be a total fucking creep or just like appreciate that yourself keep it to yourself you need to share that with that person mm -hmm. um like it's yeah and, and that was like that that is something that kept me from wanting to explore working with people in photography because um I had a, a fear about that because like I, I'd seen like you know, so many bad dude photographers and like, you know, there's just so much problematic shit out there. And um, I just didn't want to like be like another guy with a camera trying to take pictures of people. Mm -hmm. um, even though I know that I'm not like that. It's like, you know, other people don't and then it seems really weird when you're like hi i'm i'm not a rapist can i take your picture yeah we all have to appreciate like the nuance um in that side of the experience as well as the nuance um that's entailed in actually removing um gender from it completely and just thinking about how people are and how they like to be treated um and what might, you know, like, obviously the patriarchy is the thing that informs everything that we're talking about right now. And none of this would be um, exactly what it is without the patriarchy. But mm -hmm. I've been recently um, in my head trying to actually extract gender from it a lot and just think of like, what are human being respect boundaries and everybody has different you know bounds within which they feel comfortable um and would like to be appreciated and were not appreciated um and even objectified and um not objectified and yeah it's like it's it's important to like know why you're doing something and continually seek to be corrected um, mm -hmm. just by way of doing it as time goes forward. Um, and I think, as you said, it's also extremely important to keep having those conversations with your cohort and um, people that you know that might be doing the same thing and why are they doing it and what can they do to make it better and more comfortable for the you know in your case and in our case like models that work with us 
Um, yeah. Yeah, because there's like, man, there's so much there. I personally like looked into getting back into modeling last summer and then I got sick and then I was like, yeah, it's all like all this like zeitgeisty stuff sort of like unfolded. Um, just like on Instagram and again, like with photography and like, and then so many photographers were like outed, like less yeah, like so big fashion photographers were outed like last summer and stuff. And I was just like, oh, I don't know. I love modeling, but I, it's, it's gross. And I can't even like, man, what models have to put up with and sort of like internalize and just like, okay, this is a work day. Like, yes, this, is, this might happen. I gotta be ready for this to happen. What they have to um, be ready for in that sense is just kind of like, eh, I couldn't, you know, I wouldn't be able to do work um, if that kind of concern were always in the back of my mind, I think. Um, it's nice to photograph myself and be in control in that sense um and hopefully like thoughts on a rocky oh man that's a good one um uh i'm gonna finish my thought <laughs> okay. rocky. um and that actually goes into just like when i think about this kind of like photography fashion nudes anything that can be read is like having a sexual undercurrent, whether it actually does or does not um, creatively. Yeah. I don't even remember what I was saying now because um, my brain just went to Iraqi and I just like had a big mind explosion. Um, yeah. There's a lot there. Okay, Iraqi. Well, and before jumping onto that one, I, I did want to like just sort of um, touch on what you mentioned there about like pulling gender out of the conversation. And, um, you know, I, I think that is like a, probably a, a good way to go about it because um, it isn't just binary where it's like you know men against women now like you know, or women against like you know whatever like there's so like the the landscape in, in that realm is so much more dynamic now than it ever has been before and I think like a big problem if it's like you know the matriarchy fighting the patriarchy and like the matriarchy trying to like you know overthrow and take control is like we're, we're just swinging the pendulum from one end to the other and it's going to be a new set of people running similar problems um you know it, it's i think like really fixing it means that like we acknowledge and take responsibility for what the patriarchy has like committed as sins against everybody and just be like, how do we move from here instead of like the fucking blame game and getting angry about it, which, you know, justifiably so, because it is like aggravating shit that's going on every fucking day, mm -hmm. but that's it's not helping us find a way to fix it. No. And uh, the last thing I'll add there is that the reason why it rubs so many people the wrong way is because people tend to personalize these power struggles 
um, and not recognize that this is not about the existence of men. Um, this is about the existence of power structures like the patriarchy mm -hmm. um, that we are all subject to. Like we all have been reared in this um, environment and are, you know, if you want to like get really like nitty gritty about it, like have internalized the male gaze, like all that shit. So um, yeah, I think that's the thing is that so many people that like, oh my God, it's like not all men. And like, this is not my problem. I've always been great to women. It's like, no, like who gives a fuck what you've been? You've probably done some shitty shit. Um, you've yeah. got to give yourself that pass or like acknowledge that you've probably done shitty things to women. We all have. Um, but it's not about you. It's about what we live in and the things that have informed how we think and how we move in the world that we have to break down. Absolutely. And I mean, like the, the brutal reality is that uh, as much as most men try to portray themselves with these like strong machismo, like, you know, have it all together, whatever, powerful types, probably most of them are not that at all. Men are Very people too. <laughs> Well, they're, they're, they're people too, but like a lot of them, like, you know, especially a lot of the alphas require a lot more care and feeding than they would ever want to admit to. And a lot of them are very reliant on women in their lives and other people in their lives to like prop them up and give them that power. And mm -hmm. like, that's an unfortunate part of the conditioning that's been put out there is mm -hmm. that, you know, these powerful women or these powerful men have been propped up by powerful women that for the most part, just stand in the shadows while these like you know men run things and, well uh, yeah and that just goes back to like socialization like women are socialized um to be emotional managers and seek resolution and men tend to be socialized to hide which is not good that's repression again that's um telling an entire segment of the population that when they're upset sad worried angry depressed they can't show it and if they do they have to choose who they show it to wisely or they might not be perceived the way they want to perceive be perceived rather um and that's you get patrick bateman <laughs> yeah Anyway, so Iraqi, tell me about this, because I'm curious. I, I'm not familiar with this. Oh, okay. Let me see. I'm just like, is my... Yeah, okay, perfect. Um, and this is good, because like, when we started getting into this, I was like, oh, because a big thing that I do a lot of diving into, just out of personal interest, is like the history of photography that could be considered erotic, whether it is actual, like, old pinup photography, um, all that stuff. Um, this is great. So this is a, God, I don't know what year. This was probably 2015. This is an issue of foam where they did like a whole fucking dive. Um, so Iraqi is known for explicit sexual and sensual themes that are that are fleshed, like, play on words, whatever, fleshed out um, with varying degrees of innuendo, um, and usually in, in 
involving like textural and light um ev um textural and light i don't know plays upon like what sex is and some so some of his work does like dive right into just like extremely so he does stuff like more i don't know if that's even gonna register like very explicit um okay. studies of like you know a sexualized gaze of a woman um there's like tying and um bondage themes that occur um so it kind of like his stuff does like run the gamut um and i think that i personally really love his work um and i know that this is another instance where like i personally might suffer the willingness to divorce a need to completely understand where the work is coming from from a need from my reaction to the work which is that i love it um mm. and i like the way it looks and i like the way it's um I like the way it explores what it explores um, in and of itself. And I find that it's an interesting um, critical relationship to observe in yourself. I think because especially when we're dealing with subject matter like this, we want to be as holistic as possible and understand why was it made? What were they thinking? How are they using the people that they photographed? Um, was it for? Those are all things that I want to be weighing in my head when I look at work like this, because it deals with, you know, like actual perception of human beings and all these things that are very intimate and um, easily harmed. Um, and I find that's the exact like kind of like devil's devil angel shoulders situation that occurs whenever I look at um, photography in this category. Um, and there's another book that I have upstairs that's like really, really on the nose for this, but I don't feel like going upstairs and getting it. Um, I don't know, like my thoughts on Iraqi are like, mm, I love the work. Um, I flip back and forth between like, as far as like the man and why, um, like finding discomfort with that and then mm -hmm. just like completely loving what he makes. So, you um, and once again, we are all subject to the, uh, <laughs> the patriarchy and internalized male gaze and like all these things that um, erupt whenever we look at things like this and wonder why we like them or if we should. Interesting. I'll have to check out his work because I'm not familiar with it. Yeah, so I think like he does a lot of it, uh, aside from that, like assemblages with just like extremely vibrant um, botanicals um, that again are like quite sensual and evocative in their own way and tend to like have a lot of like narrative stuff going on. 
Alex recently did like kind of like a sort of in-studio thing where he played with a lot of that stuff. Um, yeah, I find the history of um, not even just like erotic or pinup photography, but even just like the, like nude subjects very interesting in general. Um, especially when we're trying to locate like who, again, why, who it was for, um, down to like, did money change hands? Like, how is it distributed? Like, who felt that this was a need that had to be filled and who participated in it and why? Because um, they're all little like ways that repression and um, denial of things that are very real and human have leaked out of, mm -hmm. again, the social structures that we live in. Because um, when you tell people that something is bad and wrong, they will find ways to create, distribute, digest, and indulge in the things that are bad and wrong. Yeah, they do. <laughs> it's like whenever someone tells you, like, you you shouldn't do that or you can't, it's like, yeah, no, I want that. <laughs> no, yeah. I want to do that. Yeah. We're weird creatures. <sighs> yeah. I don't know. There's this thing of when, like, so, like, as a designer, I always, like, constraints, um, constraints make things more beautiful and potent and um, they give structure and meaning to what we do. Um, talking about, I guess, everything that we've talked about for the past like half hour always gets me to thinking and wondering like, Thinking and wondering which? Uh, sorry, it, what would be what would it be like to um, suddenly have the world change around us and, you know, like have sex work not be like this so totally taboo thing, have the patriarchy not exist, have like, you know, porn be normalized, like all that shit. Like what, <laughs> what kind of society would, be, would we be living in and what kinds of art would be created? I think my phone is like your phone. Your phone's dying. Could be dead. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, we we have we have been at this for almost two hours now. So, um, you know, I guess we'll we'll take your your phone glitching out as a uh, you know good point to say thank you for joining me on mm -hmm. a very interesting photo chat. Um, that's why I love these things. And like, that's why I don't have any agenda around it because like, I kind of would, I like to go where the conversation leads and you know, with the loose thing being photography is like sort of what we're talking about here. But um, these are all very important things that we, we all need to be having conversations about with, with the people around us. I'm glad I made it. Me too. And I'm so stoked to see you in a couple of weeks. Me too. And I will give you some houseplants. Yes. I'm excited <laughs> for that housewarming gifts. Yeah. 
Um, well, thank you everyone for joining us for another episode. Um, you know, thank you to Monika and they do it right that time. Yes. Okay. Excellent. Um, and then next week I've got Brian G from Chicago, actually Elgin, Illinois. Um, he is my uh, brother from another mother with the Polaroids. Uh, so I'm excited to have Brian on. Also, he is a god with tin types. So that'll be a very interesting uh, chat next week talking about large format photography and instant uh, photography as well. So yeah, thanks everyone and okay. stay safe out there. Um, Canada is um... Canada is on fire. <laughs> yeah, COVID with fire, sure. Yeah, it's I I heard that like, you know, we're they're projecting we're gonna be like, you know, seven thousand cases daily in the next couple weeks here in Ontario. So that's cool. Uh, yeah, so um wear a mask <laughs> over the nose, wash your hands, stay safe. I love all you guys. As my mom once said, now is the time to stay the fuck away from people. Yes, if there ever was a time to, now is that time. Mm -hmm. Okay, <laughs> bye. Okay, bye on that bombshell. Take care, everyone. <laughs>